Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Andy Bates. Thanks for joining us today. We have a great conversation ahead of us. Something we don't talk about probably enough. Sometimes we, we, we kind of shy away from mental health issues. How do we care for uh, those, our loved ones, and, and for those who, who might have mental health issues? Looking for resources to help with that? Uh, well, we've got one today that we're going to talk about. Christian Concepts for Care. It's a new book from Concordia Publishing House. We're going to talk with authors, uh, Reverend Dr. David Ludwig and Dr. Mary Jacob. Hope you can join us for that conversation. Uh, great stuff ahead, of, great information that's going to, I think, be helpful to you. We, we all know or all are affected by someone or, or know someone affected by uh, mental health issues. So hope you can join us for that conversation. I want to say thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting this program. To find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin, go to our website, kfuo.org, and look for the sponsor section there. You can find more information about Concordia University, Wisconsin. It's the CUW logo in the sponsor section there. Joining us by phone today, Dr. Mary Jacob, a psychiatric nurse practitioner in Winter Park, Florida. Good morning, Dr. Jacob. Good morning. Thanks so much for being our guest today. It's a delight to be here with you. Now, did, did I get your, your background right? A psychiatric nurse practitioner, is that right? That's correct. What is a, a What does a psychiatric nurse practitioner do? Well, actually, a psychiatric nurse practitioner is uh, an advanced practice nurse mm-hmm. who has been trained in nursing at an advanced level of practice, and that requires a master's degree in nursing in a particular specialty. And in my case, that would be psychiatric mental health nursing. Very good. Well, I look forward to uh, to talking more about that, and and especially your your work and and, and studies uh, in in the preparation for this book, Christian Concepts for Care. Also joining us by phone, the Reverend Dr. David Ludwig, returning guest to Faith and Family. Dr. Ludwig, welcome back to Faith and Family. Oh, good to be back. It's... I love this program. <laughs> now, you are a professor, a licensed psychologist, uh, LCMS minister, and uh, so you, you've kind of got your hands in, 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 in everything. You stay a pretty busy man, huh? Yeah, I, I do, but uh, it's uh, things I enjoy. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to uh, to hearing about the the background and what led up to this book, Christian Concepts for Care. Uh, what 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 prompted the, this topic and this book? We'll start with David, and then we'll go to Mary. Uh, okay, I, I'd say, uh, gee, way back when I was at the seminary uh, in '65, quite a few years ago, uh, I also went to Washington University and realized I was in two totally different worlds. And the very same day, a seminary prof warned me about, uh, you know, studying psychology in a secular way. And the prof at WashU said, why are you going to become a pastor And if you want to help people? And his concept was pastors only make people feel guilty. And so I realized right then, uh-oh, these two worlds don't fit. And so I spent my professional life trying to figure out, within the aspects of Lutheran theology, how does faith actually bring about wellness, or how does faith and uh, mental health, wellness, whatever it is, uh, what's the connection there? Because Mm -hmm. we say God's love is powerful, but how? How does it really affect the Christian's life? So that's really where I got to where I am, and written a number of books and the like uh, up until now, and really happy with this uh, latest work. It's sort of the culmination of of everything uh, that I've really thought through, and with Mary's help, I think we came out with a with something that'll be around for a long time. Why is it that we think that that psychology and uh, the, the 
the the the the social sciences why they don't uh, why why is there this chasm between psychology and the social sciences and uh, theology religion our faith? Oh, well, the, they're they're both studying the same thing, the human soul, but uh, one approaches it uh, in a more evolutionary notion that mm-hmm. uh, man evolved and thus there is no sense of uh, the purpose that God has ordained for the world, that we live our lives in service to others. And then, uh, of course, theology, uh, God's Word, that tells us that we were created for a particular purpose. And so you've got the chasm, not so much in how do you help people, but in basic uh, approach to uh, what's really wrong with, with someone. Mm. Dr. Jacob, tell us about your background and and your experience in uh, in the the fields of uh, mental health. Sure. Well, I was trained in nursing in a basic uh, school of nursing in the 1960s, and at that time, to learn about psychiatric nursing, we were required to go and actually live in a state mental health hospital for three months. And that experience was so powerful for me when we lived and worked and studied among the patient population. In my case, this was in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, We had just excellent faculty who guided us through this experience and helped me to see this was the area of nursing that I wanted to specialize in. And in fact, I spent my entire career, almost over 45 years working in the field of mental health nursing. Um, But I knew I needed more education um, in the field, so I went ahead and got a bachelor's degree in nursing and then a master's degree specializing in psychiatric mental health. And uh, all the experiences along the way in that educational process really taught me that um, we're all in this together, and the more I can learn, the more help I can be, and the more I can learn about myself, the more I can be an instrument of, of God's healing for those who are struggling in this way. And eventually, I, I uh, did study for a doctoral degree in education um, with a plan to, to teach nursing, psychiatric nursing, uh, but God had other plans for me. <laughs> 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 what 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 prompted you? What led up to uh, your contribution to this book? Why why write about uh, understanding and helping people with mental health issues from a Christian perspective? Well, part of that other plan I referred to uh, was that I uh, became um, I actually moved with my husband to another state, and uh, and I be had the opportunity to work in a pastoral counseling center as a therapist using my psychiatric nursing background and licensure. And so uh, this really began to shape me uh, even more, although I was a Christian to begin with. Uh, I'd always practiced in a secular field of healthcare uh, to work in a pastoral counseling center where it was really okay to talk about your faith and it was okay to integrate your spirituality, with your mental and, and physical health, um, was a very exciting thing for me. And so um, over the years, I was affiliated with the Pastoral Counseling Center over 25 years um, in Central Florida. I just grew in the awareness that we are whole people, and uh, we cannot separate our spirit from our body, our, 
our physical being, our emotional being, and I just developed a really strong commitment to that view of the person. And as a nurse, I have um, sort of this instilled in me this uh, commitment that we are to educate the community in regard to health and well-being, and um, it's part of our training, our tradition. And so (laughs) writing the book uh, with Dave was just a a wonderful opportunity to reach out into the community beyond the people I would see day to day and and share some of this uh, insight. Did you, uh, along the way in your education, did you encounter much of of, of what uh, David did uh, in terms of this this chasm between uh, the sciences and faith, and that uh, even when caring for people, whether it be their their mental well being or their physical well being, as a nurse, all the sciences and all the, the the training that you had always left this this void, and there was really no care for the spirit of the soul, especially from a Christian perspective. Yes, especially in the early years in my practice, um, it was like living in two worlds. You know, mm-hmm. your your faith was one world, uh, your daily life, so to speak, was another. And uh, it was very difficult to find those crossovers. But I think we've certainly come a long way with that. And I hope that, that our book is another uh, another step in this process for, for people who, who want to, to do that more. Well, and let's talk about that. Who would, who might find this book useful? Who is your intended audience with this book? I think the first intended audience is the uh, the church itself, pastors, professional church workers, and any of those who care from a Christian perspective, trying to figure out how faith and uh, is is a really an asset to the whole process of wellness. And then it's also for the counselors, even the separate counselors, because. Uh, most people who come to counseling value their faith, but most counselors are not trained to work with faith. So this provides a wonderful way, uh, without saying that their skills are wrong, mm-hmm. but hey, there's something added that they can learn to take a person's faith, and uh, that that can really be an aid to their process of getting this person well. Mary, who is it that that you want uh, to see uh, holding this book? Who is it that you want to get this book into the hands of? I would love to see uh, faith community nurses use this as a resource. And this is a population that I've worked with over the years, and I actually did some training uh, in faith community nursing in, uh, in the 1990s when it was really becoming more and more prevalent in congregations to have a, a faith community nurse. And I'd love to see um, that group uh, of, of caregivers in the church mm-hmm. um, have a resource like this that they could uh, refer to and, and use to really help people break down the barriers and, uh, and create deeper understanding. So, uh, for example, parish nurses. Is that uh, what would yes. be faith community? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a term that uh, refers parish nurses, faith community nursing, mm-hmm. uh, the same thing. Yeah. But, uh, that was my guess, but I wanted to make sure I was on the same page. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Well, well, looking uh, in, in the book, early in the book, uh, you describe a unique concept of spiritual DNA. Who wants to talk? Who wants to start that that conversation about spiritual DNA and help us understand what oh, is spiritual I'll, DNA? I'll start that one. Okay, because, uh, this is a concept that I'm really excited about. Uh, there's a uh, there's a really a conundrum in the psychiatric world today, and uh, there's some recent articles that say that placebos are just as effective as the real medicine in treating depression. And wow, how do you get around that? 
Well, of course. What, what is a placebo except uh, what a person believes to be helpful? And so you can't get around the notion that a person's belief system about themselves, about their life, about what's going to be helpful is the, probably the most powerful force in the person's mental health, uh, their whole sense of wellness and their relationships and everything else. Well, how does this, how does, how does this reality form? Well, you were a child once. And as a child then, uh, you developed all sorts of understandings about what, you know, who you are, what life is all about. And I call that your spiritual DNA or the history of the formation of your spirit. And of course, any time that there's high anxiety or something really bad happening or, you know, you, uh, you know, you throw temper tantrums and get by with it or things like that, then there's uh, specific damage to this DNA. And in a way, then your reality is flawed. In a Christian sense, we call this, uh, you know, sin or incurvasa sin say, where you get turned in on yourself and it all becomes all about me. Uh, in a more uh, psychological sense, you, you call this a constriction as opposed to neuroplasticity. In other words, your life becomes constricted uh, in a way that you no longer are free to uh, experience joy and, and hope and things like that. And so that's what DNA is really a, a neat way of realizing that childhood and the person's history uh, is really uh, very powerful in the formation of reality. And then it gives a, uh, a nice way of putting Christ in the healing process because he can heal this DNA. He, his love, the agape, that he, that he brings, and the new self. See, the old self is this DNA. The new self now is formed by Christ's DNA or Christ's uh, love as it uh, actually forms a whole new self. And so the new self then actually becomes the, the source of wholeness or wellness. Uh, but, no, but, but most people don't know how do you apply the new self to a particular situation or a particular disorder like depression or anxiety or anything like that. And that's really what the book is about. It, so it sounds like it, it, it's important for us to grasp the, these concepts that, that are, are common among Lutherans, the sinner saint, as well as the two kingdom, the understanding right. of the mm-hmm. two kingdoms. Without that understanding, it, I think it would be hard to understand the spiritual DNA and, and the new, uh, uh, the Christ, uh, Christ DNA, then, that, right. that is uh, his or, or to work. Put, put it another way, I really think this is the gift Lutheran theology has to give, uh, not only Christianity, but our deep understanding of the human spirit and the human condition in a way that it can be very practical and uh, can, can really lead to, to real healing and health. So is the, the concept of spiritual DNA, then the, I would gather, Dr. Ludwig, this is, is a, a concept that you've developed? Yes. Uh-huh. It, it, it's one, one I developed uh, in, in, uh, in connection with Dr. Eckridge at Grace Place Ministries. We, you know, he's a medical doctor, and so mm-hmm. we were tossing around ideas of how can we communicate the sure. power of the new self and wholeness and wellness. And, you know, Grace Place is a, uh, a ministry uh, to professional church workers to try to, to bring wellness it's, and to congregations to uh, uh, focus on the wellness process. Dr. Jacob, when you first started talking about and, and learning about this this concept of spiritual DNA, uh, th- th- tell me about some of the conversations you've had about spiritual DNA, DNA and and, uh, and, and and how that's come along. 
Well, I had a lot of questions. <laughs> There's lots of chuckling going on in the background. Well, I think we're both recalling um, some of those uh, conversations where I just I couldn't quite get it to begin with, and then I I realized I'm I'm thinking too concretely here as a, a person uh, trained in science, and there certainly is an amazing analogy here. I think to be found, and the more that we um, really that I um, sort of digested um, um, Dave's writings and thinking and realized that um, we need a way to understand more clearly how we have, um, how our spirit has formed. It's such a, a nebulous concept. And, and for me, this just became a wonderful, understandable way that I can talk about and I think people can understand uh, how we become constricted in our life versus being able to be open and uh, more receptive and, and, and how we can strive for that in our growth and how there's so much potential for growth with that. I think the research that's going on now in physical DNA is a great uh, parallel to what we're beginning to uncover now as we use this analogy for, for spiritual formation. Now, you both have mentioned being constricted, and I think, David, you mentioned neuroplasticity earlier. Right. Uh, for those of us not in, uh, who, are, who aren't familiar with this, uh, this terminology, what is, in layman's terms, what is neuroplasticity? Okay, let, let me talk about constriction first, because okay. all, all disorder is a constriction of the freedom of life, like uh, if you have bronchitis or bronchial asthma. Your bronchial tubes become constricted. Heart problems, uh, the arteries become constricted. And so virtually all illness, physical and then, then emotional illness, so where, you know, like uh, panic attacks constrict your ability to move freely around in your world and uh, hard feelings uh, restrict your ability to appreciate one another in relationships. So the whole, the whole term constriction is really that which... Uh, uh, inhibits and, and interestingly, Luther himself, and Saint, barring from Saint Augustine, used the phrase "incurvatus in se," a constricting phrase that you are curved into yourself for a word for sin. And so, without God's love, we're reduced to trying to figure out things on our own, which is always constricting. So, any that's where anxiety comes from. Neuroplasticity, on the other hand, is when uh, you are, you're free to look at alternatives, to enjoy the moment, uh, to enjoy life, uh, uh, and that's, that's a term for resilience in psychology, uh, and also in uh, neuroscience. And neuroplasticity means the brain can form new neural connections, uh, and that's really what uh, depression is all about, is that constriction, you can't form new connections, and plasticity means, wow, I mean, you wake up and you're full of life, you know, like a child, you become more like a child like that. And you can see the analogy of uh, Christ then. He came so we can become more like a child to free us up. And so now, how does that happen as the new self is really the focus of the book? How, how do you become much more alive and free in the midst of all the things that would constrict you? Perhaps, I, I, I'm grasping the concept here, I think, and uh, but perhaps, um, I don't know, do you have some stories to help us understand this this constriction and, and neuroplasticity? Well, you know, I'm thinking of constriction, and you, you kind of get focused in on yourself, focused on one thing, and you just continue to spiral downward. Yeah, that's it. 
I, I actually developed, and this is really, uh, this is fun, I developed the concept of oinkies. You know, like, oh, oinky, when, when, whenever your mood shifts, you get bummed out, and here's a, like a marriage relationship. Uh, one person, like my wife Kathy, says or does something, and it doesn't set right, and I feel my mood shift, and I get oinky. <laughs> okay, now that, that oinky is a specific DNA damage, because the only reason I got oinky is I took it personal, or I, I took offense by it, or it hit something in my childhood. That's where oinkies come from. Hmm. And so, uh, let, you know, like, uh, let's say here's, here's a person who uh, is interacting, um, and this is not myself, but some other, it's probably me actually, but here's a, <laughs> here's a, here's a, here's a guy in a married situation. His wife says something pretty sharp, and, and he explodes and says, well, you're not my mother, and walks off. Well, how old does he sound? Well, he sounds like a 13-year-old mm-hmm. who feels like he's being uh, controlled by the other force, and that's not a healthy male, see? He, he's reacting like a 13-year-old, and he's getting oinky. Okay, that oinky is specific DNA damage that, that occurred when he was 13, and as a result now, he's replaying it and actually believes that what he's doing is normal. He believes it's all his wife's fault for her tone of voice or the way she's reacted. And then if you think of relationships, when two oinkies touch, when both people get oinky at the same time, that's where the devil starts working and builds resentment. Mary, do you see? Do you read about this oinky in other professional reading? Do you, <laughs> do you, it really isn't called by that name, usually. <laughs> But I think it's very appropriate. I think that describes the situations appropriately. Yeah, we get oinky. Well, an interesting thing, you know, maybe we'll get to this, but uh, those oinkies happen in uh, churches. (laughs) Oh, yeah. happen among uh, disturbed relationships, but they happen among all of us all the time. And uh, we do have some examples in the book about um, people who really want to serve God and have the best of intents, but our personal oinkies get in the way sometimes with each other, and we end up exploding, uh, even even in the church, or especially in the church. It, it seems so that uh, when when we're shaped by a, an experience in in our younger years that. That then shapes our, affects our our perception of of future experiences. Right, right. That that's exactly. It. These are like defining moments. Mm-hmm. And and the trouble is, when you're reacting, it feels very normal. It feels like this is exactly what you should be doing because that's your reality. Hmm. And so that's just your old self. See, and that's why it's so hard to pin down the old self and confess it, because you think you're doing it right. It's all the other person's fault. Because it's, so this book is really neat in, in pointing out, hey, you've got a lot more power whenever there's a bad relationship or something like that. You, you know, whenever you, you feel it's all the other person's fault, now's the time to say, oh, God, hey, help me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get free of this. And that's really where the, the freedom uh, comes from in the process of confession, but also the deep understanding of uh, where, where did your oinky come from. <laughs> so... Neuroplasticity, the opposite of uh, being stuck in with uh, with a bunch of oinkies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good way to put and, it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And so whenever, whenever, like like this person I talked about actually should grow. Uh, so that's what we call spiritual growth. So his spirit gets healthier. Now his wife did exactly the same thing, 
and he can look right at her and say, oh, honey, you're upset. Let me Tell me about it, see, what's going on, rather than blowing up and feeling controlled, see. How do He's we... now got another option. He's got another option. He doesn't have to revert back to a 13-year-old. But how do we make it out of that, that... Uh, how do we make it out of being locked into that that thirteen year old mindset? Oh, that's the best question yet. That's <laughs> we, we developed the concept of reparenting. Now we're talking about the new self. That God comes in and gets us unstuck, which you know, we've said again and again and again. But how does He do it? Well, you take that thirteen year old reaction and see that as your old self. And then you bring Christ into the scene. Like, I, let me tell you my personal experience where I really, really sort of figured this out. When I was growing up, my father uh, had a nervous breakdown right in church when I was about 12 or 13. And what I remember vividly in this defining moment is the whole congregation looking at me since I was up in the uh, confirmation choir. What I remember vividly is the blue of my robe. I looked down saw the folds, and that I can remember like it was yesterday. Hmm. Well, now, whenever there's a situation like my wife Kathy gets upset, the first thing I do is feel helpless, disagree with her, look away, and feel that's normal. Well, these are all intricate patterns. I call them automated mood processes. These are all automated patterns that I picked up there and I'm still doing. But what I did is put Christ back into that scene. We talk about the real presence. He was really there. So we put his presence and his love back into the scene, and it gradually takes the anxiety, and gradually I could feel myself looking back at the congregation and then getting upset at them for what they did. And guess what? It broke the spell. So now when Kathy gets upset, I'm much more mature. I can look right at her and say, oh, honey, what's going on? See? And that's reparenting. It's like, take the scene, take the defining moment, and with Christ's presence and his love, gradually free up the constrictor. Because I couldn't even move my head the first time I went to the scene. I couldn't even raise my head. I, could, I was actually stuck. It was like focused in. And now I remember the scene, and I feel totally free. I, I can just look at the congregation and go, hey, look what you did to my dad. You know. And, it, and that is a process, and it, it's real subtle, because these things affect you in ways that you don't even know. It affects sure. your reality. But you get back to the source and, and the reparenting process, that gradually frees up. And this is true then for you know, all the types of disorders, and this is really what the book focuses on. Virtually all the disorders can be looked at in a developmental sequence, you know, like uh, anxiety comes from about eight or nine being stuck in in uh, feeling like the world is way too serious. Well, that's your reality. You think, oh my gosh, the world is serious. Well, how does, how does this eight or nine-year-old actually grow up? How can Christ help that process? How can his love come back and the new self actually take over more territory is really what the book is about. So in this, in this reparenting, re, you know, revisiting those situations and when recognizing the sin, also recognizing this sin, for this sin too, Christ died. Yep, that's it. And his presence then is very powerful. It mm-hmm. takes away anxiety. It takes away, and you can even go into a moment, uh, you know, and whenever you feel, let's say you're in a, in, a, in a meeting at church, 
and all of a sudden you start feeling anxious because there's tension in the air. Well, you don't have to do that. Okay, so then you now have a chance to grow so that you can deal with the situation not in a constricted way, but in a much more plastic way. You know, you can, you know, start thinking about the good of the whole and and uh, say things and do things that, that won't be the usual same old, same old that happens in churches. Hmm. I think another way to say that would be uh, you can move from being reactive in a situation that's stressful mm-hmm. and anxiety-producing to being more reflective and looking at it for what it is and then being yeah. proactive. So move. proactive, mindful, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of terms for this, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, this this stops the usual stuff that causes blow-ups and causes churches to split and causes really factions and things like that. Sure. I mean, this is this is very natural and it happens in every every situation. Well, this is is certainly helpful, and I appreciate it. I feel like I should probably like write out a check at the end of this for my counseling session today. <laughs> but we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversations with Doctors Ludwig and Jacob, uh, talking about Christian concepts for care, uh, understanding, and helping people with mental health issues. From Concordia Publishing House, stick around for more faith and family coming up right after this break on Worldwide KFUO. Yes, we live in a world that resembles Pompeii, one of heartache and destruction. The figures of that city cry out to let us know that help is needed, that a savior is essential. Vesuvius may have conquered Pompeii, but the cross of Calvary trumps them all. Pastor Gregory Seltz, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 12.30 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, Executive Director of Life Issues Institute. Ryan Bomberger is a very talented African American who does great video and print media educating Americans that the abortion industry targets women of color. In the process, he ruffled feathers of the Pro-Abortion National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, known as the NAACP. Ryan more accurately described the group as the National Association for the Abortion of Colored People. The group sued Ryan in court and guess who provided big bucks to help them? Planned Parenthood. It makes sense since Planned Parenthood's roots are deeply planted in racism and eugenics of their founder, Margaret Sanger. Visit today's broadcast link at lifeissues.org for clear confirmation of their past as well as our research showing Planned Parenthood still targets women of color. Check out Life Issues on Facebook and stay more informed than you've ever been. The world is the mission field of Worldwide KFUO. We bring the gospel of Christ to all nations. Worldwide KFUO reaches countries where missionaries on the ground can't go. Christ called us to proclaim the gospel to all nations. And that's what we do here every day at Worldwide KFUO. If our mission and worldwide outreach is important to you, would you please prayerfully consider supporting Worldwide KFUO at kfuo.org. Cross Defense, the apologetic show for inquiring minds of all ages. Cross Defense airs Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. 
On air, online, on demand, right here on Worldwide KFUO. Concordia University, Mequon, Wisconsin, overlooks the beautiful shoreline of Lake Michigan. This serene main campus of CUW is just 15 miles north of Milwaukee with all its vibrant cultural attractions. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, students living by the motto of inspiration in action can choose from 69 undergraduate majors, 14 master degree programs, and doctorates in pharmacy, physical therapy, and nursing practice. For more information or to take a virtual tour, visit cuw.edu. Have you ever thought about becoming a Worldwide KFUO Day sponsor? There are plenty of reasons to do so. Perhaps a birthday, an anniversary, celebration of a baptism, confirmation, graduation, any event. It's easy. Just call Mary or Joni at 1-800-844-0524. That's 800-844-0524. And become a Worldwide KFUO Day Sponsor today. Hi, I'm Mark Hawkinson, host of Jubilation, heard every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4 p.m. Coming up this Sunday, I'll share thoughts about the peace God gives even in the midst of tumult. That peace originates not here on this earth, but in heaven and enters your heart and mind through the power of his blessed word and sacraments. I'll have lots of sacred music to share and many peaceful verses of God's care. Join me, won't you? That's Jubilation from 1 to 4 p.m. right here on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Andy Bates. We are talking with the Reverend Dr. David Ludwig and Dr. Mary Jacob on their new book, Christian Concepts for Care, Understanding and Helping People with Mental Health Issues. Good conversation so far. I think I'm starting to get it now. I'm starting to understand uh, these concepts. And and I've read the book (laughs) and I've understood them from the book, but it's so nice to be able to have this conversation. And I think I'll have to go back and listen to it a few more times just to make sure I get all of it, but it, why is it? Why is spiritual care an important part of good mental and emotional health care? Let, let's start with Mary. Why is spiritual care an important part of, of good mental and emotional health care? Because we're whole people. We are um, beautifully made uh, as body, mind, and spirit, sort of inextricably woven together into a whole. And what I've learned over the years as I've listened to people is that when our body is hurting, so is our mind and our spirit. When our mind is hurting, so is our spirit and often our body as well. So uh, I know this to be true just from listening to many, many, many people over the years describe what they're experiencing, Um, and I believe it. So I think that we can't leave out spiritual care because it's uh, it, it's such a, a part of the whole. And uh, for me, it really is the center of the whole. Um, we have a model that we use that we describe in a book called a, a circle of wellness that comes out of um, looking at the whole person and the spiritual aspect of the person is central to that. David, your, your perspective on why... 
spiritual care is is an important part of of mental and emotional well-being and mental yeah, I, m- I mentioned before you know I'm closely connected to the psychiatric world and deal with that every day and it seems like what's missing in the high uh, let's say focus on uh, the neurological basis of consciousness and uh, how medication and everything else is really the answer is the realization that every person course they've got breathe but has a capacity to decide and form uh, what they consider to be real and true and valuable and that this is their faith and everybody's got their faith with a with this faith is so critical because uh, it, it organizes all of reality and so if you start believing that you're really not worth much uh, and you have a lot of depressive thinking and you're going oh my gosh you know my life is worthless and things like that well, that, that's incredibly powerful because that's your belief system at the time. And it may have come from uh, the way, you, you know, you, you heard your one of your parents talk about you or certain decisions you make that weren't very good and you feel very guilty about. Uh, and so medication will help some, but actually spiritual, a new spirit, a new heart, you know, it's a sense that you're valuable in God's sight. That's the new self. That really then... Uh, provides, as, as Mary said, a basis for a new uh, way that your body and your mind and everything else can operate. And so your, your spirit really is the key in the sense of what you believe to be true. And that belief system is what God and His Spirit is all about, uh, trying to reform and to, to let you know that God really does love you in, in reality, and you are one of His precious children. Before we talk about some of the, some uh, specific disorders, is there anything else we need to understand about the human spirit before we talk about uh, specific mental health issues? Well, I, I like to, as an analogy, uh, right at the beginning of Scripture, uh, uh, God talks of, or the, it talks about God's spirit organizing all the chaos, moving along the the waters of the deep, and look what look what. He's organized. The God Spirit took all of this chaos and organized a beautiful world, intricately put together. And that's really what our spirit does. The human spirit takes a baffling array of of childhood and all the different experiences and everything else, and organizes it into quite a neat uh, uh, unity. And what and you're pretty accurate in terms of who you are, what you believe to be true about yourself. So that's that's the key critical importance of a person's belief system. And this is where faith comes in, that, mm-hmm. that the new self gives you a new way of looking at yourself that heals some of the old uh, damage, uh, you know, uh, you know, like, like if someone uh, yelled at you when you were young and said, you were worthless, you're worthless, and that stuck. Well, how do you heal that damage? Because you start believing that to be true then, see? And it leads to a lot of depressive thinking. How do so? So how do disorders come about? There, there's a, a multitude of of, of disorders um, and, and conditions. I guess we might say. Uh, is there a, a nature to disorders? Yeah, the the, the diagnostic manual that's uh, the Bible for psychiatrists, and it was just updated, lists quite a few disorders, and they're pretty baffling. There, there are all sorts of things from depression to anxiety to you know, obsessive compulsive disorders to uh, narcissism to uh, addictions, uh, uh, borderline personalities. You know, these are almost baffling. 
in terms of how many there are. Mm-hmm. But their book really organizes them in a really neat fashion that depends on what age you were stuck and whether this helped your mind uh, over-control things or helped your body maybe become way too um, out of control. You know, they were using St. Paul's uh, mind and body dichotomy in Romans 7. Like, that, that, let me go through just a, like, like if you were stuck, if something really profound happened when you were real young, like being under three years old, well then, whenever you get oinky and a certain situation happens, you'll say, well, you never let me do anything. It's all your fault. <laughs> You're highly dependent. You blame everybody else. Uh, you want everybody else to fix you. And that doesn't mean your whole personality, but there's a a key element when you meet certain situations that become quite dependent. Uh, Then if you, uh, you know, something happens when you're four, five, six in the temper tantrum stage, well, then you say, well, you made me do it. It's your fault. So you really believe that the other person made you do it and that your anger and maybe even hitting them is quite justified because it's all their fault because you're you're a five or six-year-old, highly you're still at, at that particular situation. This is your reality. You really, really believe that you have your right. You have a right to express your emotions. Then, if you're seven, eight, or nine, or ten, uh, well, now now it becomes uh, you're forming your internal identity. You're taking life very seriously, and you get stuck there. Now you go. Now, now you get highly anxious, and you feel like you have to solve everything, and the weight of the world's on your shoulders. Then about 11 or 12, well, now your parents don't know everything, and you start uh, having your own ideas, and you're starting to form your identity, but you don't have enough power to say it. So this is the time when you go underground and hide your feelings. And, you know, you know like uh, uh, at, this, at this point you become uh, a lot of pornography. Uh, people who view pornography occurs because they're stuck at this age. Or, you know, we call drama queens where... You just react emotionally, but you don't really, the emotion doesn't go very deep. But then if you get 14, 15 and get stuck there, well, now, you know, mm-hmm. now you're rebelling against everything. And, and interesting, here's where the addictions come from, because you got the anger to form your own identity, but it turns inward. And now you have a permission to, you know, it's the I don't care feeling, see. So we've really, I think, done a very good job, Mary and I, uh, looking at each of the disorders and being able to say, hey, this is probably where it comes from. And that really helps then to focus in on a person with a particular disorder. Where do they need repairing? So, I think it's important, mm-hmm. too, to just uh, recognize that, um, you know, the field of mental health professionals have been grappling with this for for uh, decades <laughs> and longer is where does this all come from? And so for me to be able to look at the whole person in the way that, that we, we are, uh, it just makes so much sense. So it, it really is connected to when, as you've said, when you get stuck or when there were significant um I guess, negative experiences yeah. during those years of development. And really those defining moments that Mm -hmm. uh, were referred to earlier um, are a a great place, uh, I believe, to start with healing. Because once those can begin to be identified, whatever your diagnosis is, according to the, you know, DSM-5, of course it it matters and that, that helps people to organize their thinking about how to help you. 
but uh, those defining moments uh, across the board are, are really significant. And uh, they're really most defining moments people still remember, but they don't they don't know the significance of them. Mm-hmm. They've always they've always remembered them, but they don't realize that this was they they remember them because they formed a strategy at this point that they're still using. It was really important to to define their reality. And this is not to blame parents, by the way. You know, a parent can say something offhand and not really mean it, but the child at a particular critical moment picks it up and actually believes this to be true. And it, it sounds to me that m- many of these defining moments, the, these critical experiences, th- there's, th- there's either the result of sin or the effects of sin, um, the, the old Adam... Whether it be oh, yeah, our sin or someone else's. It's a dysfunctional family units at work, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's a blow-up, here's a divorce, here's a, you know, here's an alcohol, alcoholic parent who does this or that, you know. The, these are all some of the reasons for the defining moments and the, and the ways realities are formed. And I would add to that, too, Dave, that even um, some um, happenings in life that one person would not find to be particularly disturbing, another person in their developmental stage, because of their own vulnerability, because of their genetics, because of a variety of factors, is going to interpret that in a whole other way. This adds to complexity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it, 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 so it's not to blame anybody, but it's to re- really, uh, I guess, to understand that all of us have flawed backgrounds. You know, all of us, uh, uh, I guess we're born without a relationship with God, and so we live most of our lives as if God didn't exist and try to figure out things by ourselves. So in the book, we focus in on anytime you keep things private mm-hmm. and try to ponder them privately, they stay immature, because God didn't create us to be private people. What about genetics or family of origin or stress? Um, what role do they play in, uh, if at all, in, in uh, disorders and our, our, our mental health issues? Well, I think they play a significant role, and uh, we're just beginning to learn more and more about that as the, the genome is explored further. Um, just some very fascinating findings in genetics coming out uh, every day, practically, and application for treatment. But, uh, well, one example would be something that's happened, certainly since I've been practicing, is that uh, in prescribing medication, uh, it's now possible to genetically determine what medications a person might have a better uh, benefit from than others. Instead of trying one and then the next one and the next one the next one, you know, your physician or prescriber can go directly to the one that your body chemistry is most open to. Uh, so that's just an example of the kind of things we're finding, you know, now that are helping practice. And uh, certainly that genetic predisposition to be vulnerable to, for example, anxiety or depression it's very real, and uh, it's very helpful, you know, if, if we know that we have that, because we can then find ways to uh, develop protective mechanisms that will help us grow with that, rather than just having to endure it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, like a real simple example, let's say there are two kids in a family, and maybe the father is uh, sort of stuck uh, in a temper tantrum stage and likes to blow up. Well, the two kids, one genetically 
feels much more vulnerable, much more sensitive inside, and the other one, uh, you know, does not feel that vulnerable. Well, they're going to have different defining moments. One is going to to feel intimidated and try to please and maybe get stuck uh, being an enabler. The other one uh, will, uh, you know, stand up to his father or something like that and uh, react and, you know, maybe have some other difficulties, but it won't be that. So genetically, then, these two uh, have to handle things differently because of their vulnerability, as Mary said. I'm just thinking through all this now, and I'm thinking, if you ever watch TV, particularly reality TV, and you see some of these traits, some of these characteristics <laughs> in yeah. some of the characters, do you sit there and think, okay, something must have tragic must have happened when they were eight years old? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's I try not to watch I it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't actually watch that much, and uh, no, unless I have to, I don't. I don't analyze people. You know? <laughs> but I think you may be referring to stress here. <laughs> yep. And you mentioned stress and mm-hmm. does it play a role? And I would say absolutely it does play a role in, uh, you know, the development of various uh, emotional disorders. And certainly um, stress is not something that we can avoid. It's not something that we can be without. But all, it's all in how we learn to cope with it, how we learn to process it. And um, it's going to be there. So we might as well develop some good skills mm-hmm. for, for dealing with it. It's kind of like turning up the heat, uh, you know, when a, a microorganism starts to grow. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I, here's, like, here's a real-life story uh, where, where stress, where the, where the gal was about uh, seven, eight years old, and uh, her mother, in order, her parenting uh, style was to make everything a, a drama. And she was very vulnerable, and uh, so she actually believed that everything was really serious. Well, no wonder. Then when she gets to be uh, 17, 18, she starts having panic attacks because she, she, she lives life tense, always thinking that everything is very, very serious. Well, so until she needed medication, I'm trying to get over a lot of anti-anxiety medication and everything else. And the one thing I did is go back to when she was that age and uh, have her react to her mother differently. With Christ's help, I had her just look at her mother and say, hey, Mom, it's not that serious. And she felt an incredible calming inside, and over a period of a short period of time, the panic attacks started going away. It's like, it's like something matured in her understanding of what was real, that life wasn't that serious, especially if Christ was present. What I like about this this book as i was as i've been listening to both of you talk especially when we were talking about stress and uh you know maybe uh maybe i would you know manifest some sort of of uh physical symptoms you know headaches or something like that you go to the physician and they say well do you do you do you have stress in your job you should you should really reduce the stress or or, or try to uh to uh to cope with the the stress <laughs> in your job or in your life or your lack of sleep because you have a a you know a, a newborn well how can you how can you reduce stress in your work or in you know or your 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 family situation whatever it might be how you you can't just tell someone oh you have to reduce the stress and leave it at that and so what i like about this book is it really helps you understand the big picture and right. as well as the how to uh, so you can understand the root of things and, and deal with them. 
I, I would just like to share one of the examples from our book because it, it came to mind when you were talking about going to the doctor with stress, and he says, oh, we need to reduce the stress at work. And, uh, okay, thank Cause you. Because who, well, who doesn't have a job that, who has a job that doesn't have stress? <laughs> I, I once worked with a gentleman who was extremely stressed uh, in his work, so much so that he, he stopped going because it was too painful to even be there during the day, and, of course, he was losing income, so it became uh, pretty urgent for him to, to get some help. And uh, he was a person of, of deep faith, but he couldn't seem to connect, you know, where where God is in all this. Um, and so uh, over the weeks as we talked, uh, you know, he, he asked me specifically for some strategies, well, what can I do? Hmm. So we started to talk about, you know, where he was in his faith life, and he was taking a class at church on uh, meditation. And so we started to talk about that and how he could incorporate that into his work. Uh, life, and he developed uh, a beautiful meditative breathing prayer that he used uh, first thing in the morning when he woke up, and he used uh, um, the twenty third Psalm to breathe in, "The Lord is my shepherd," and to breathe out, "I shall not want." And really began to go into depth with understanding what it means not to want. Uh, not to expect, not to fear. Hmm. And so that those very simple words, which became a very elegant mm-hmm. kind of meditation for him, uh, enabled him to get up, get ready, get to the workplace, make it through the day, and uh, change his perspective quite a bit sure. on that. Uh, on his work situation. And nothing better to meditate on than God's Word. And it, our time has, 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 has gone so quickly, we are out of time. But a great book, great resource. We'll provide a link to it uh, with the uh, the archive of today's program, the, the on-demand uh, recording of today's program, so that folks can find it at Concordia Publishing House. It's called Christian Concepts for Care, Understanding and Helping People with Mental Health Issues from Dr. Reverend Dr. David Ludwig and Dr. Mary Jacob. Dr. Ludwig, thanks for being our guest again on Faith and Family today. Oh, thanks so much. This was fun. And Dr. Jacob, thanks so much for being our guest today on Faith and Family. Thank you. Coming up in just a little bit, Thy Strong Word. I'm going to study God's Word right here on Listener Supported Worldwide, KFUO, the messenger of good news. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.